it's nice from time to time to take a moment and just sense the wholesome community that we're creating together. Simple pleasure to be sitting together like this. In our tradition, early Buddhist tradition, you know, we have the statue of the Buddha, but the Dharma, the Dhamma, it isn't so easily represented symbolically. And it's, in a way, it's our most useful devotional object, Dhamma, the way it is. And it really has a lot to do with how we've been practicing this week. Cultivating this confidence, this heartfelt devotion to the awareness that's here waiting to be recognized. That means in this moment, And there's something that you can, we can all sense here and now that's inclusive. The awareness that we can sense, that we can recognize. I think Carol mentioned this a couple of days ago. This awareness really doesn't have a problem with any of the experiences that come and go. And the image that we sometimes use, it's an imperfect image, but it's helpful still, of a mirror, the simile of a mirror that is quite happy to reflect whatever is going on in front of it. It doesn't need to judge, it doesn't have a problem with despicable acts or beautiful acts done in front of the mirror. And there's this other aspect of the simile, a mirror doesn't seem stressed out, reflecting whatever's going on in front of it. Its nature is simply to reflect, it's like this. This is being known And many of the monasteries, when the nuns and monks get together to practice, they might chant this homage to the Dhamma. And I think it's really instructive with our awareness practice. Homage to the Dhamma. Now let us chant in praise of the Dhamma. The Dhamma is well expounded by the Blessed One, apparent here and now timeless, encouraging investigation, leading inwards, 
to be experienced individually and realizable by the wise. I chant in praise to this teaching. I bow my head to this truth. I really resonate with that chant and often revisit it. It's one of the things that drew me in about the Buddhist teachings, this really, for me, pragmatic, powerful, transforming set of teachings and practices that really center on a deepening or transforming understanding of what's here and now. This is from Ajahn Sumedho talking about Dhamma as a refuge. He writes, these are words that point to the here and now. When we're opening to truth, we're not looking for anything in particular, like focusing on one object and saying, is this the truth? Opening to truth is opening the mind rather than focusing on one thing. So when we take refuge in Buddha and Dhamma, that reminds us to be in this state of alert attention. We're not trying to concentrate on this and get rid of that. We're not getting caught in the habits of indulgence and suppression. When we do open, when we learn how to open ourselves here and now, then we begin to experience peacefulness because we're not looking for any particular thing to attach to. We're not running around anymore. We're stopping the frantic running. So opening to Dhamma is the way to peacefulness, which we have to realize for ourselves. might feel at times, I think it does feel for me at least, like a big responsibility to take responsibility for this mind, this conditioned mind as it is. We didn't choose to have these tendencies or inclinations in our mind. And yet here it is that we get to see now in the retreat experience in vivid living color, all the tendencies, impulses, all the wanting, all the not wanting. And nobody can do this for us. And we're transforming the mind in this way of wisdom. And what seems to really help, it's sort of a chicken and egg kind of conundrum. When we have the stability of present moment awareness, 
it becomes relatively easy for wisdom to understand what isn't helpful, what isn't in the direction of release and freedom. So that contrast really helps. For example, when we're really calm, peaceful, it's really easy to see when the mind begins to get identified with content that agitates the body and the mind, really stands out. When we have a lot of metta, loving kindness, it's relatively easy to see when ill will starts getting entangled, building a head of steam in the mind. It just stands out, the contrast. And it's exactly that kind of learning, you know, noticing how the mind is relating and noticing its skillfulness, its unskillfulness, noticing the kind of seeds that are getting planted. For me, one of the most scary images used in the Buddhist texts, the similes used by the Buddha, is these uh, are these parasitic um, encircling vines that evidently grow in some of the tropical trees. Bird might eat a berry somewhere and then poop on the branch of a big tropical hardwood. And this vine just starts growing right there on a branch, maybe many, many feet up in the tree. Eventually the vine, after it grows for a while, drops roots down And very slowly over years, that vine, maybe several of the vines like that, entangle this huge tropical hardwood so that eventually you can't even see the tree that was originally there. It's all these encircling parasitic vines that have taken over. And that's the simile the Buddha chose. It kind of scares us to these tendencies of the mind. When they go unseen, it just makes so much sense for my mind to keep obsessing in this way or that way or worrying or planning or numbing out. So initially on retreat and initially in our practice, it does take a lot of heartfelt intention. We may not know much except that the way my mind is conditioned needs an intervention. (laughs) So we find a way to Buddhist awareness retreat, something like this, and we notice it's not the inclination of the mind to recognize awareness. It's the inclination of the mind to think and for our mind to be animated by aversion and fear and hate and anger and animated by greed and wanting and hoping and becoming. And then we're invited to relax (laughs) with a mind like this, a heart like this, tendencies like this. 
We're invited to relax. We're invited to recognize awareness and to keep recognizing awareness and to observe, to open to the whole dance of it all as a natural process. And it's this contrast then that allows the mind to discern, to sense the quality of what seeds are getting planted. We often use a unhelpful simile in our own mind, you know, like, oh, I'm stuck in mud and I have to somehow uncover this heroic energy, you know, like a superhero energy where I'm going to get myself out of the mess of life and I'm going to become this heroic superhero that extracted themselves from the mud of life and now I sit on top of the mountain looking down on the the poor ones who haven't done it yet. And that's often how we conceive of the path. Look up at wonder those people we think at the top of the heap. Look down below at those we think are below us in some way. You know, just all more ground for conceit more entangling. And the teachings from the Buddha and the teachings from our teacher, Saito Utejaniya, really emphasize this process. Like we're aligning with a natural process. Everything we observe comes and goes lawfully, naturally, And what we can do in our practice is we can orient the mind gradually, systematically orient the mind towards this recognition, this appreciation, this cultivation of wisdom and awareness. Because the Buddha and those before us have found that that makes all the difference. In one of the discourses, the Buddha talks about, it's so nice for the Buddha to sort of, like we do when we have our small group circles, you know, he shares a little bit about his practice before his awakening. You know, and he says, this is a rough paraphrase, but he says, yeah, when I was practicing, it occurred to me, maybe while being present, I should discern thoughts ways of relating that are grounded in greed and ill will and harmfulness and put them in one category and ways of relating, ways of being, qualities of mind that have more to do with renunciation and generosity, kindness, the absence of ill will and harmlessness, or some of you know the word sila, just this resonant valuing of non-harming, put that in another category. And he found that just that discernment is exactly what we're doing. Recognizing awareness, noticing what's arising, noticing that it's being known, noticing how the mind is relating, 
allowing for that just natural discernment. Oh, when the mind's relating in this way, things get really tight. You know, when their mind is relating with anger, it feels like this. When it feels like this, this arises. This sort of feedback loop where we relate to anger, we relate to fear, we relate to anxiety in ways that encircle the mind, like those vines. It's not like we want to get caught up in the aversion or the greed or the delusion. But the tendency that's already there, the groove that's already there in the mind is for our response to be what feeds that unwholesome quality. But this is a great thing about this wisdom awareness, this mirror that just reflects that on nose. Oh, it's like this. And when we see it, maybe not see it three times, but maybe 300 times or 3,000 times or 300,000 times, you know, when we see this quality of mind, this way of being, this way of relating, being known, this emotion, being felt, and being identified, being caught, being known, and the entangling quality, the unhelpful quality. And when we see the opposite, this spaciousness, this equanimity, this fearlessness, this patience, this persistence, this curiosity or interest. You know, we see these other qualities and we see what their effects are. So in a way, the stability of present moment awareness is really allowing the mind to discern skillfulness and unskillfulness as a natural process, meaning you don't have to figure out what's skillful or unskillful. That will be a natural fruit of being present, getting clearer about the qualities of the mind, the ways of relating that are helping and harming yourself and maybe others around you. And it really, it's a kind of maturing, you know, and I think even a little bit of grieving because we kind of like the idea of being the superhero who's going to free myself and be special. But what we're really doing in our spiritual life is we're undertaking practices that help us align with the natural process. Patterns of suffering are natural processes. Patterns of liberation, of unwinding, of putting down attachment, greed, hatred, and delusion, also natural process. And the real linchpin here is the stability of present moment awareness. When there's an absence of the stability of present moment awareness, then the tendency of the mind is to keep doing what it's done keep getting the results that it's gotten before. 
when there is this growing, deepening stabilization of present moment awareness, the mind that just sees things as they are, then there's this inevitable, unstoppable discernment. Oh yeah, this is helpful. This is onward leading to release, to letting go, to peacefulness, to increase clarity. Or this is onward leading to more stress, more entanglement. Like uh, in one passage, Carol and I were talking about earlier, a tangle within, a tangle without. Who can untangle this tangle? You know, so I ask you, Gotama, who can untangle this tangle? And it really is this discernment, which we don't, you know, we might say, yeah, I'm discerning, I'm seeing clearly, but really it's this natural process of learning to value present moment awareness, learning how to recognize it, learning how to keep it in mind, learning how to infuse the awareness with wise view, like just trying out that movement, what's coming and going, just to frame it, to see it, to feel it as a natural process. And we use that wise view as a counterweight to all the tendencies in the mind already, the grooves in the mind, to personalize experience. So we're neutralizing that bad habit with the teachings on wise view. So just one last thought, just because of the, uh, just normalizing these habits of mind to relate with greed, to trust greed, to relate with fear and aversion, to trust it, to relate with delusion and distraction and disconnection and to really trust. I I just don't want to be aware. Have you noticed that? It's just like, oh, I just don't want to be awake. I don't want to see, I don't want to feel. If you're really attracted to finding some little distraction to absorb into. And instead of you know, feeling badly about these so-called hindrances, what hinders the stability of present moment awareness, might be just easier to be in a more neutral space and just see what gets set in motion when the mind's relating this way, just in a sense, studying cause and effect. Okay, so this is the inclination to want to trust aversion, anxiety, fear, whatever. It's like this. What's the feeling here? What's the underlying feeling? What else is here? Let me be with this experience of aversion, of anger, of fear, and sense and feel what's here. So only, not to hate myself, not to judge myself, but just to see what's getting set in motion. Is it trustworthy? Is it helpful? Because the abandoning depends on seeing clearly. In Buddhism, we don't say that I have to abandon my habits of fear or aversion. 
just need to see it clearly in the letting go, the weakening happens. Same with greed or same with any unwholesome tendency. And what's often missed when we're working with these more challenging, hindering tendencies of our mind is uh, like if we feel caught, something's repeating itself over and over, then that's probably something there but not yet being recognized. So one question to drop in, what's the feeling here? What's the underlying feeling or the underlying feeling tone? When the mind is relating with aversion, when the mind is relating with greed, when the mind is relating with delusion or distractedness or denial, what's the underlying feeling in the heart? Can I feel this? Is it okay? Is it safe to feel? What happens if I relax with this and just allow it, in a sense, to reveal itself, this underlying feeling? Just let it be known. Let it be what it is. Just another thing in the forest being known. Oh, it's like this. It feels like this now. Is that a helpful process to, in a way, in a sense, invite in whatever's not being felt, not being seen? Especially when we felt, have felt trapped in a repeated cycle, you know, over a period of time. And we feel sincerely like we want to practice well, but we're starting to feel a little helpless. So that's a time to wonder, I wonder if there's something here. It's almost like we're learning to be suspicious of suffering or dukkha or being trapped. Being trapped depends on not seeing clearly, meaning something's here and is either being misperceived or not recognized. So what's here in the moment? What's moving? What's present, but not being felt, seen, experienced? You see a lot of humility, a lot of interest. That's what really helps. And this is really powerful learning on these retreats, just to not be afraid of these little challenging vortexes. We're in the midst of the encircling vines. which are essentially empty, by the way, but to be totally respected as teachers. What am I not seeing? What am I not feeling? So let's leave it here and work with our own experience for a little bit. Settle in. Sit for about 10 minutes. Feel free to... Stretch a little bit quietly if you need to, so you can sit comfortably.
So uh, Susa will be here in just a couple minutes for the mindful movement. But one announcement, uh, Carol and Alexis have arranged to have some books from Sayada delivered and we can make them available for everyone in the retreat. Some of you might already have a copy of Dhamma Everywhere, wonderful book, basically a transcription of many of Sayadaw's um, small group interactions over the years, the Q&A sessions, very helpful. And it's really, we offer it for your retreat experience. And of course, you can keep the book if you'd like. If you already have a copy, you can leave it with the office before you leave and we'll use it for one of the future retreats. But it's a kind of Dhamma medicine, not to read cover to cover, but you have it in your room. You might need a few minutes. You might look through the table of contents to find sort of what's up in your practice, or you might do it randomly and just assume that wherever you open will be relevant information that you can just use in your own practice. Yeah, just be aware of going to it as looking for some entertainment. You know, it's not that that's bad, but it's just useful to notice that we're kind of, just like we might use sleep as a way to escape, we can use reading Dharma material as a way to escape our present moment experience. <laughs> a relatively wholesome escape, by the way. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, it's a really nice, uh, just addition to the retreat experience to have that to check in with from time to time. So we'll put that on the bench near the front entrance, and you can pick that up maybe uh, after the movement session. So wishing you a good afternoon of practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.